I just got a little bit of a shorter message for you this morning. This will be one of those summers where you're like, Emily talked about her backyard for like five months. So I won't keep doing that. I actually have a lot of other things brewing in my head, but I do want to share um, with you guys a little bit about, well, let me just start with this. So a few years ago, one of my best friends, Erin, she moved into the a house on the old west side of Ann Arbor. And about two or three years after she had been there, I remember walking into the backyard and just noticing this enormous vine that was hanging over an archway in her backyard. And it was just absolutely filled with these small white flowers. And I had never seen anything quite like it before. And I remember it smelled really good and I don't have a great nose. And I even remember just thinking, man, this is amazing. And I looked at her and I was like, what is that? And she told me it was a sweet autumn clematis, which I wrote into my phone. And she told me that she'd planted it when she first moved in because she knew that it would take it a couple of seasons to mature to its full glory. I think it takes clematis usually three years. So I wanted to share a picture of it with you really quick. This one isn't actually hers because it's not in bloom at the moment, but this is a sweet autumn clematis just so you can see. Wait, who else can share? I don't know why. It's, can you guys see it? Zoom's asking me more questions than normal. So, I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion about this, but for me, I was like, this is absolutely amazing. And so I have now planted seven different clematis vines in my own yard. And the thing about clematis is that there's actually this huge amount of diversity within the species. So the flowers can vary between these like bright, big, colorful, tropical looking ones. I went out and actually plucked this one this morning, if you can see. Uh, this, this kind here is like right in the height of its peak this week. And they can vary from like that to those small little delicate ones like you saw in the picture. And so some like my purple one, they flower early in the spring, some in the summer, and then some like the, the sweet autumn clematis, like flower through quite a bit of the fall actually. And as I've been learning about them, I realized they're all pruned differently too. And so some flower on old growth and some on new. And so there's all this variance and yet they're all related, right? They're the same species. And I love my clematis vines, but then on the other end of the spectrum, I have been warring with the wild grapevines in my backyard for years. So I actually went out and grabbed another one off of that. Like this big, long, this is a pretty young one just kind of growing everywhere. So when we moved in six years ago, they were all over, we've got a big wooden fence around our backyard. And I mean, they were just growing all over that, getting between the panels, tearing it apart. They were crawling up a giant evergreen tree that when I remember snipping one of the vines and then watching the vine die and it was just circled all up through that tree. And we've got five fruit trees in the backyard in a circle. And only one of them would actually fruit because the wild grapevines were just choking them out. So this is the first year we've actually gotten them all to fruit. And so these have been sort of my, uh, what would you say, like the bane of my existence in the backyard for many, many years. And the thing is, is even if you like cut them down and you leave just a little piece in the ground, they'll regrow. And then they get these little teeny tiny grapes that are really not edible. But if the seeds drop, they, those seeds can actually remain dormant for years before they sprout in these better conditions. It's really one of the most invasive species around here. 
So my neighbor Blair is, um, she's just embraced it a little bit better than I have. So she lets hers drape over her backyard trellis and she actually puts a swing under it for summer shade. And so for years, she's been trying to get me to do the same. She's just like, Emily, you just got to embrace the wild grapevines. But for better or worse, I've chosen battle. And so I've had to accept that I'm going to be pulling these vines up year after year, even though I think I've made quite a bit of headway. So let's hold on to these two images here of, of the clematis and then the wild grapevines, and we'll come back to them. So since Easter, I've been kind of in my own little mini sermon series without really meaning to. And the theme of this has been finding life and transformation and rest when things feel really hard and when God might feel more hidden from us. And I think I've landed there because it's what's come out of what I've personally found helpful during the pandemic season is just to have like simple pictures of who God is and how we can be in relation to God, right? Just to be reminded of the basics of faith. And so the picture I want to look at this morning and that Jesus offers us is the metaphor of the vine. So I'm going to read this starting in John 15. I'll put the text into the chat here. Put it in two parts. So I am the true vine. My father or mother is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So this image from John is of a gardener, right? As somebody who tends to us and weeds and chases the groundhogs away. It's a God who isn't bothered by our messiness. Because as you know, you can't be a gardener and be afraid of dirt or sweat. And so in Jesus's imagination here, God's the gardener. Jesus describes himself as a vine. And then we're the branches or, I don't know, something abstract that like remains in or part of that vine. And two things struck me about this passage. The first one is that Jesus describes a collective us and God and nature as being very much connected, right? So John, who wrote this gospel, he's known to be the mystic of the gospel writers, and he's very concerned with the intertwining of humanity with the divine. This idea of divinity in us, us in the divine, right? Remain in me as I also remain in you. And this little picture reminds me of a verse in Colossians. In Colossians 1, 15 to 17, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. This is the important line. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And this is actually one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, actually. 
Um, it's one of the few that I think really attempts to describe what is almost indescribable, right? This, this mystical idea of God as the life force of all things, right? The life breath and of us held inside of that life force. And it reminds me of other Asian religions uh, might call that life force like the Tao or the Qi. And we remember Christianity is an Asian religion at its roots, right? So there, I think, is a similar concept here at play. And so with this vine image, Jesus is touching on this same idea of this connectedness of all things and of us being held in this divine. And John just asks simply, like, how do we do that? How do we remain in the divine or in God? And then John says, the answer is simple. It's just, it's love. It's just love. I'm going to put that little bit into there. I think I accidentally deleted it off of my own, but that's okay. John says, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Right? Greater love has no one than this. Lay down your life for your friends. And so I was thinking back over this last year and I thought, gosh, that's exactly what we've been doing, right? We've been laying down our lives to protect and love our friends. And I think we've been honoring God in doing that. So the second thing I notice is that Jesus talks at the beginning there about pruning the vine so that it has more fruit or more flowers, much like I prune my clematis to maximize the blooms every year. Some of them I actually have to like cut down right to the base so that when they come back, they come back with a vengeance. And in some ways, I think the entire world has had like a serious pruning season this last year where we've been forced to cut back on a lot of things in our lives. And some of that might have been pruned too hard, right? And not by our choice. If you prune something too hard, like I lost a couple of lavender plants doing that this year. But some of it, I think we'll discover, was pruned just right for us to be able to find more life as we re-engage. And so as things have opened up and our kids are going back to school this fall and more of us are back in the office and able to eat out and go to movies. I think hopefully we'll just have a greater wisdom in knowing what's simply busyness and what is life giving. There's that opportunity. And I like the picture of a vine because the previous pictures that we've been looking at over the last couple months, right, that were like baby birds in a nest or it's like we're incubating in a womb, which we talked about when we talked about Nicodemus. I find those pictures helpful, that picture of being in a nest or a womb, but they also seem a little bit lonely. So for me, the vine links us to each other. And I know that one of the ways that I've gotten through these last months is just knowing that I'm part of a community that I love, both in my neighborhood, but also with all of you, with my faith community. And like Clematis, there's a ton of variety among us, right? How we look and how we shine in this world is diverse and it's wonderful. And I also like the idea that even though there are a lot of vines, like my grapevine here, that are rampant growers, there's something really remarkable about vines' ability to persevere. And I do wonder if Jesus specifically used vines in this image for that reason, right? You can prune them, you can cut them, you can pull them, and yet they still remain. And I think that faith can sometimes be like that, where Maybe it can lay dormant for many years or be pruned pretty far back, and yet it can spring up unexpected. And so I just want to leave us with a simple reminder you know, from the nest and the womb and the vine. And it comes down to this. It's just that we rest in God and we love each other. And that the essentials of faith are both remarkably simple and yet sometimes really hard to do. Right? Just resting and loving.
So now we're going to have a little time of meditation and I'm actually just going to read you a prayer. I thought maybe we'd just get ourselves a little bit comfortable and relax. But this prayer comes from a book called the Jesus Sutras. I'm just going to look and see if Susan King is on today. I wanted to give her a shout out for alerting me to this um, research from the Jesus Sutras. So the Jesus Sutras were more recently discovered in the last 20 years, and it was the writings from the very earliest Christian community in China near Xi'an. And so the very earliest Christian community in China actually shared a space or a property with the largest Taoist temple. And so they had a really just fruitful coexistence and ways of learning from one another. And so some of their prayers and their songs, I think, really resonate in ways that some modern uh, maybe prayers or songs haven't resonated with me in a long time. So I invite you to just get comfortable. You can close your eyes if you want. And I'm just going to read a little bit here from one of the, the Jesus Sutras, or it's sometimes called the Nestorian documents. And we'll read this as a prayer. The highest skies are in love with you. The great earth opens its palms in peace. Our truest being is anchored in your goodness. You are God, compassionate being of three. Everything praises you, it sounds its true note. All the enlightened chant praises. Every being takes its refuge in you, and the light of your holy compassion frees us all. Beyond knowing, beyond words, you are wisdom, steadfast for all time. Compassionate mother, radiant sun, royal pure wind three in one. You live perpetually in light, the light which enters every sphere. Supreme King, will of ages, compassionate, joyous lamb, loving all who suffer, fearless as you strive for us. Bring us back to our original nature, delivered from all danger. Everything looks to you without thinking. Shower us with your healing rain. Help us to overcome. Give life to what is withered and water the roots of kindness in us. Amen.